Um, Our scripture reading today is from um, Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. I'll let you find it. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Fiona. Uh, you know, the, uh, the story of village goes back about 11 years in some sense, um, when six of us sat around in a, a living room and uh, just started studying the Bible and talking about Jesus and just discussing what it could look like to uh, be his church in Belfast. But I think in another truer sense, um, the story of village is a lot longer that, than that, because it's actually not just a single story. Um, it's actually hundreds of stories that kind of compile into one uh, common narrative. Uh, That's what the church is, right? Many people coming together, uh, all of these stories uh, converging into a common narrative, uh, which I really love. I think that's really beautiful. Um, And so part of our church's story actually goes back decades to a a small town in in Missouri uh, where I grew up. Uh, Most of you know my mom is from Northern Ireland. Uh, My dad was from the States. Um, And it's funny how the Lord directs our paths, isn't it? Like my mom and dad couldn't have been further different, like they come from completely different parts of the world, uh, their families are completely opposite, and um, there's, there's not really any reason why we should have ended up in Missouri, but uh, that's the Lord uh, just kind of directed our family there. Um, uh, it's a big part of my story, spent my childhood and my teenage years there, um, and so it's one of the, the many stories that kind of stream into the, the, the greater river of the story of, of village in that way. Um, it's a real honor this morning to have, I'm already crying. Um, two, uh, two of the main characters in my story, um, uh, two people uh, who are the greatest influence to me, uh, my pastor, uh, Ken, and his wife, Shirley. Um, it's an honor for me to have you here this morning. Um, I grew up in their home. Uh, they were my second parents. Their kids were my brothers and sisters. Um, uh, so it's just great to have you. Um, I love you. Um, although our church is made up of a lot of different stories, um, this church wouldn't exist without these two. Um, um, I love how, I think that's cool. Like, don't, don't you think that's cool? Um, the Lord, it's cool to look back and to see how he kind of sovereignly works things together, right? 
Uh, and I think uh, we get a we don't even get to see all that he's working together, but we get a small glimpse of it, right? Enough to, 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 to help us to believe that he actually is. Um, and so it's great to do that, and it's great to have done that over the last couple of days to be with you guys and to, to do just that. So um, uh, you wouldn't be sitting here if it weren't for the faithfulness of these two people. So uh, thank you for being you. Thank you for loving Jesus the way you do. Okay. Um, the Lord's good. And let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll get into Luke 18. Um, Lord, we, we, we just thank you that you are good. Uh, we thank you, uh, Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is holding the universe together with the, the power of his word. Um, Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to believe that that's true, because um, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, even for our church, what's happening? What's, what's tomorrow holding? You know. You are holding it together. Um, help us to believe that, Lord. Um, may we be a church that uh, has great faith in you, uh, that you are at work, that you are building your church, um, and may we be thankful that we get to be part of it. Um, teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Um, Luke 18. Uh, the first half of this year, uh, we were kind of working through the Gospel of Luke in a series. At, we're not picking that back up this morning. We're just kind of dipping our toes in the water again. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a series in Ezra and Nehemiah that'll kind of sandwich Advent and Christmas. And then uh, after Easter, we'll get back into Luke, uh, which I'm excited about. But this morning, I want to look at a short parable of Jesus in Luke 18. It's called The Parable of the Persistent Widow. Um, this parable is very handy because Luke actually begins by telling us what it's all about. Um, not all of Jesus' parables are that way. Some are a little more mysterious, a little more work to, to understand what's, what's going on and how to understand them. But once you do that hard work, they're rich and powerful. Um, this one is rich and powerful and important, um, but, but it's a lot easier because Luke's like, this is what this parable is about. Uh, verse 1, he says, and he told them a parable. Jesus told this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Okay, there's no puzzle to piece together. It's no mystery at all. Um, Jesus, this is the reason the story is told, that we ought always pray and never lose heart. Um, so it's about faith, right? It's about persevering in, in prayer. How's your prayer life? What's, what's prayer look like in your life right now? Are you someone who is always praying Um, I won't have us raise our hands, but I imagine if we did a poll and say, hey, put your hand up if you're just always praying. I know some of you would, um, but my, my hunch is most of us would struggle to put up our hands, right? Because we, we often find prayer difficult. Um, that's common, is it? To struggle with consistent, persistent prayer. Um, and so that's why this, this parable is incredibly important for us, um, for all of us, because prayer is essential to the Christian life. Um, we talk about John 15 a lot here. Jesus talks about the importance of abiding with him, that, that we need to stay connected with him. Uh, it's, the, it's about his presence, about uh, receiving from him. It's about prayer, really, isn't it? Um, and Jesus puts it really bluntly there, and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it, prayer isn't like this kind of added bonus to the Christian life. It's not like a, a bundle that you put onto your Christian life SIM card in that kind of way. Prayer is, is foundational. It, it's not optional. It's essential uh, to do anything in your life with Jesus. Um, I've thought about this week. So beware of thinking that uh, prayer is like 
some people get this gift of prayer, um, that, that um, some people just have this gift of prayer. Um, last couple of weeks, we, we were in Ephesians, and Ephesians 4, uh, we see this like diversity in God's family, that there's, he gives a diverse uh, giftings to the members of his body. Um, Paul talks about this in, in more detail in 1 Corinthians 12. It says there's, there's one body, but there's many members. You see that this morning. You're all members of one body. Uh, and spiritual gifts are given to the body, which I think is important. And, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Like, like every member is important. Every member is crucial um, in order for the, the whole body to function properly and to, to be built up in love, right? So, so God has given you all a variety of gifts, you're not here to just to, to attend or, or just to consume. You're a crucial part. Variety of spiritual gifts, teaching and, and wisdom and, and helping, even administration, all of these gifts. What about prayer? And if you're like me, you can, you can tend to think there's certain people in my life that just seem to have this commitment to prayer. We often call them prayer warriors, right? They just have this, this gift of prayer, and what's dangerous is we can sometimes think, well, I just don't have that gift. I, I, th- that gift of persistent prayer. Some folks just seem to have that gift and they're great at it. Others like me don't have it. And man, when I read the Bible, I can't find anywhere that portrays prayer as a gift to some. It's only as a gift to all. And I only see prayer as, as foundational, as, as essential to the Christian life, a life of following after Jesus. So Romans 12, 12 says, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Like friend, persistent, continual prayer, is, it isn't a gift that God gives to some of us. It's a privilege for all of us. It's a gift for, for all of us. It's essential for all of us if we want to successfully, successfully follow after him. So I think the scriptures make it really clear that, that the gift of praying at all times, of continually communing with God, it's just part and parcel of being part of his kingdom, of being one of his children. Continual prayers for all of his children. And yet we struggle to pray. We, we find it difficult to, to continue to pray. Um, I just want to encourage you to be open about that. Like, talk about that. Don't, don't act like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got it all together. I pray a lot. Um, if you find it difficult, uh, talk about why it's difficult. And a lot of us would maybe point to this, this need for more self-discipline, right? Um, it, like, we don't pray enough for the same reason that we don't work out enough. We, we, we need more resolve, we need more determination, more self-control. Maybe you need better, better structures or plans or resources to, to help us pray. And listen, that might be true. I reckon most of us could use more self-discipline. Uh, for me, structures and plans and rhythms actually do help me continue to, continue to pray. Uh, but my guess is there's, there's deeper reasons for why we don't pray often. Um, if you continue to kind of pull back the layers, uh, if we're completely honest, I think one of the reasons many of us would, would say we don't continue to pray is because 
We just don't think it does much. Like prayer, it doesn't feel productive. It's not efficient at times, is it? And maybe you've experienced this process. Sometimes you pray for things and something happens, which is great, right? Works. But sometimes you forget to pray for something and the thing that you forgot to pray for happens anyway, which is great as well, but does that kind of undermine the premise of prayer as essential? But then sometimes you pray really hard for something and nothing happens. And so we stop praying. We begin to deep down think, I don't know if there's any connection between me praying and things happening. Sometimes God answers the prayers I didn't pray. Sometimes he, answers the, he doesn't answer the prayers that I do pray. Maybe there's, maybe there's no God up there and things just happen as they happen. Or maybe there is a God up there, but he's going to do what he's going to do irrespective of me. And so we often give up prayer. We can lose heart. We can, we can give up faith altogether. Sometimes in dramatic ways, I'm done with the church. Sometimes in just quiet ways, right? We simply become prayerless or, or almost prayerless Christians. We pray sometimes. Um, listen, if this describes you, I don't want you to feel beat down this morning. I want you to take heart uh, because Jesus knows what you struggle with. Isn't that so encouraging? Isn't that so good? that he, he knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows what you struggle with. And he's not disappointed with you. He, he's, he, he's, he's not uh, surprised in you. He, he simply wants to help you, which is exactly what this parable does. Um, these, these stories, they're, they're meant to, to help us to pray. They're meant to help us to believe that your prayers aren't useless. Um, and so this short parable in Luke 18, that's exactly what it's for. Let's read it one more time. Um, Luke 18, verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what that unrighteous judge says. Hear what he says, that unrighteous judge. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Um, This story actually mirrors um, another story, another parable that Jesus gives in in Luke chapter 11, where his disciples come to him and they say, teach us how to pray. And and Jesus does teach them how to pray, gives them this model prayer uh, that you all know. But immediately after he gives them that prayer, uh, he tells a story. Uh, immediately after he tells this parable for the purpose of 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 helping them because he knows that they're going to struggle to believe that, that when they pray that prayer, anything actually happens. Okay, so he doesn't just teach them how to pray. He teaches them immediately why they are to never stop praying. And, and in that story, in chapter 11, the story goes that there's this man who goes and he knocks on his friend's uh, door in the middle of the night, and he asks him for three loaves of bread um, because he has these guests coming over and he doesn't have anything to feed them. So it's, it's this incredibly bold uh, 
uh, uh, action, like at the middle of the night, he goes, he, he's waking everyone up, his kids are asleep, everyone's asleep, uh, and he's knocking on the door, and Jesus says, uh, this friend's going to have some questions for you, uh, why are you knocking on the door, waking my kids up, why are you bothering us at this time of night? And Jesus says the, 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 the guy isn't going to give up and give him what he needs because he's his friend. I don't know if he'll be his friend after this, uh, but he, he says he's going to get up. Why? Because of the impudence of the knocking man, because of the boldness, the shamelessness of the seeker. So he, he will get the bread because of his bold, shameless asking, his knocking. He's, a, he's the kind of guy who gets what he wants because he's the kind of guy who goes and, and wakes up his friend at midnight. He wakes up everyone and he knocks and he keeps knocking. The point is that Jesus is like, that scene should depict your prayer life with God. You are called to ask and then to seek and then to knock boldlessly, shamelessly, bold, boldly, shamelessly. The, the implication is that God only gives some things in response to ongoing, persistent, shameless prayer. To put it another way, God actually delights to share his power with those who are bold enough to bother him. And, and he makes the same point with the parable of the persistent widow in chapter 18. So again, he knows that his disciples are going to struggle to prayer. So he gives them another, another uh, parable to encourage them. In this story, the person doing the asking is this widow who wants justice against her adversary. We don't know exactly what the situation is. Um, it's probably financial, but, but it's not the point. The point is she's in need and she's seeking justice. The person doing the, the answering in this case is a judge uh, who we're told neither feared God nor respected man. So he's an unfair judge. He's, he's selfish. He's corrupt. He's, he's not doing what he should do. And he, he keeps refusing uh, to help this widow, which is meant to be surprising uh, to the original readers because uh, in the Old Testament law, the, the courts had this almost like a triage system, right? Have you been to the A&E? You see the triage nurse, and if you have a scraped knee, you're probably going to be lower down on the list than the lady who's like bleeding out of her ears, right? There, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a system, a triage system in order uh, for the urgency, and, and, the, and the law actually favored widows, the system was there that the widows would be moved to the top of the list to be helped, but not with this judge. He keeps refusing her because he neither feared God nor respected man. He refuses her and refuses her for a while, we're told. He eventually gives in and he gives her justice. And the reason he answers her is the same as the reason for the previous section, the previous story. The judge says, because she keeps bothering me, because she just won't stop asking and his point, again, is, is that scene should depict your prayer life with God, and, which is really interesting, right? If you're paying attention, you might feel a little uneasy because of who's being represented in the story, right? But like, in Jesus' analogy, we are obviously the widow, right? We are the ones in need, meant to constantly come and ask for help. But that means in Jesus' own analogy, who's the unjust, selfish judge represent? God. And that should make you squirm a little bit. And, and Jesus, Jesus does this sometimes because his purpose is not to compare God with this unjust judge. His purpose is to contrast him with him 
These are these, these better than stories that Jesus tells. His point is, hey, even if this, this unfair judge would grant the request of this widow because of her persistent, relentless asking, how much more will the perfect judge of the universe, who's your heavenly father, who loves you, who knows every hair on your head, how much more will he grant the request to his children who persistently come to ask? The answer is meant to be obvious, infinitely more. He's infinitely better. He's an infinitely better judge. He loves you infinitely more. He's going to grant infinitely more to his children. So perhaps the reason we don't think our prayers change anything is because we give up so soon. Maybe God doesn't seem like he's listening because he's, he's waiting for us to bother him. He's waiting for his kids to come and, and ask him and to ask him. He wants us to boldly and persistently approach the throne of grace because we can to help in time of need. And the parable teaches us three main points. I want it to be really simple because we often make prayer very complicated, right? So three main points that the parable teaches us, that our prayer should be desperate, our prayers should be bold, and our prayers should be persistent. I think if we grasp those three, those three things, our, our, our passion for prayer will be ignited. So firstly, pray desperately. And one thing about th- that, that's true about the two main characters in these stories is that they are completely, utterly de- desperate. That they have no other options, no one else to turn to for help. The, the unprepared host in chapter 11, he has nowhere else to go for, to, to look for food for his guests. Uh, the, the poor, wronged widow, she's helpless. She, she has no one else to turn to for justice. She has no husband. She, is, she has no family, it seems. No, no rich friends who can stand up for her. In this situation, this, this judge is her only hope. Listen, I think one of the things that, that keeps us from praying is we simply fail to recognize how utterly and desperately we need God's help. And this is what the West has taught us, right? Uh, that anything is possible as long as you work hard enough, as long as you work long enough. That's the American dream, right? And it's kind of invaded the rest of the West. You can do it given enough time, given enough energy, given enough talent, we can figure it out, right? It's like JFK. He's like, the reason we haven't gone to the moon is because we didn't choose to. <laughs> you just got to choose to. Given enough time and energy, we can figure out the solution. Anything is possible. And listen, that kind of optimism and that spirit of innovation can be good, right? Went to the moon. Like, the, the world is, is a better place because of that. But that kind of thinking, that, 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 that spirit of overcoming obstacles and believing you can and working hard to do it, it can be absolutely devastating when it comes to spiritual things. Because again, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, the kingdom of God, it seems to have this upside-down approach, right? It's this life of acknowledging that we are utterly lost, that we are helpless apart from Jesus. He's our only hope. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so prayerlessness often comes down to the fact that deep down, we don't believe him when he says that. Prayerlessness believes, I just need a little bit more time. I just need to put something else on my to-do list. I just need more money, more planning, more talent to muster it up. That's what I need. We rarely say it in those brazen terms, right? But it's often what we believe in our hearts. It's often what our actions tell us that we believe. 
Um, if I'm honest, I can, I can then make excuses. I'm just too tired. I'm, I'm just too busy. Um, we can kind of let ourselves off the hook in those, with those ways. But often in our heart of hearts, it's simply that we, we don't recognize that we are desperate in need to come to him in prayer. And we tend to think enough time, enough resources, enough talent, and we can sort this out. Until something happens in your life that shows that you can't. Suffering. Um, this is actually why we need suffering. Uh, we, we live in a society that tries to avoid suffering at all cost. We actually need suffering. As Christians, we can actually rejoice and be thankful in our suffering because suffering forces us to realize that Jesus was right when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Suffering shows you that often enough time, enough planning, enough resources aren't enough. Suffering forces us to realize that our only hope is to throw ourselves on the mercy of God in prayer. Those people that you think are prayer warriors, I'll let you in on the secret, they're just people who have suffered a lot. They're just people who have learned by walking through the valley of the shadow of death that God actually is with them, that he actually is protecting them, that he actually is providing for them. And, and they've learned the only real way forward is to constantly go to him. Uh, so don't begrudge suffering in your life. I'm not saying don't, we don't celebrate it, it's so great, but don't begrudge it. Don't, don't let it wear you down and, and get you hard. Um, single folks, some of you are struggling with loneliness and you're learning that no matter how much you try to fill up your time with, with stuff and, and things and by doing things and by being with people, those things still don't fill up that void of loneliness in your heart. And I'll let you know, it never will. Like even if you find a, 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 a husband or a wife, it still won't fill your void. You need desperately to, 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 to figure out that there's only one person who can truly satisfy your every desire. You're desperately in need of Jesus. And the parents in the room, some of you are learning that no matter how many parenting books you read that tell you just do A, B, and C and your, your children will be fine. And you're learning that's simply not true, right? Um, you're learning that, that having that philosophy of if I can just become an expert in, in Christian parenting, then my, I can guarantee that my kids will turn out right. You're learning that's not true. I'm learning that's not true. And it's not the message of the Bible, is it? And it, you know why? Because God's a perfect father and his children disobeyed. Half of, a third of his angels dis, uh, d, d, uh, rebelled against him. So unless you think you can outparent God, uh, you'll need to learn that your only hope in raising your children is to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, uh, looking to him for his mercy, for his grace, for him to do what we cannot do. He's our only hope. Uh, listen, I'm not saying principles don't matter. Principles are good. We should learn the principles. We should apply the principles. But most of all, we should cast ourselves on the mercy of God in prayer. And Pastor J.D. Greer, he says, Jesus didn't save us by teaching us principles. He saved us by offering us resurrection power. Jesus, Jesus uh, did not come down to impart a manual for us to, to live by, but a spirit to live in and through us. It'd be a tragedy to master the principles and then forget the relationship that gives them life. So friends, our, our only hope for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, for our church, lies in God's grace. The success of this church lies not in our efforts, our abilities, it's not our, our techniques, our biblical principles. It actually lies squarely on his power. 
on his grace. Do you believe that? I'm not saying those things aren't important uh, to work through. They're, they're, not, they're not gifts from him. But do you believe that our only hope, our only way forward is the power of Jesus? If you do believe that, you'll be someone who prays and never stops praying. Do your prayers have that tone of desperation, that, that tone that comes from knowing that what you most need, what you most want, you cannot do, that only he can provide? When's the last time you considered your need of God? It's not just something you know, but you consider it often. And the more that you do that, actually the more desperate you'll be for God and the more you'll pray. And in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Pastor uh, Jim Simbali, pastors Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City, they, they decided early on that they're going to gauge the, the health of their church, not based on the, the attendance of their Sunday gatherings, but on the attendance of their prayer meetings. Why? Because they, are, they wanted to be a church that was desperate for God's help, desperate for His power. It's something to consider. That's the first point. Pray desperately. Um, but not only is the, the widow desperate for help, she's also bold. Um, she didn't seek justice from a judge that, that uh, she, she knew. Uh, he was known for not giving justice. He was an unfair judge. He was, he was known for that. Um, but she didn't think, man, he doesn't even give rich people a fair try. I'm a nobody. Why even bother? No, she still asked boldly. And remember, Jesus isn't comparing God with the unjust judge. He's contrasting him He's saying, uh, that, that he's not saying God is an unjust or, or reluctant help. No, absolutely not. He's saying he's far better. If, if this unfair judge helped this widow, how much more will our, will our heavenly father? Um, don't miss the contrast in the, in the parable. This woman comes to this judge as a marginalized stranger. We come to God as his beloved children. She had nothing to plead in court. We have the blood of Christ. She spoke to a judge who cared very little for justice and even, and even less for her. We come to one who cares so much for us that he got out of the judge's seat and came down and hung on a cross to satisfy the demands of justice on our behalf in order that he might share with us the riches of his kingdom. You see the contrast? Do you see how when we begin to understand who we are and who we are asking from, we have no other option but to ask boldly. Because the closer the relationship, the bolder the asking. It's like my kids coming into the bedroom in the middle of the night to ask for a drink of water. If one of, if one of you were to come into the middle of the night and do that, one of us is probably going to be hurt or <laughs> something bad's going to happen to one of us. But my kids, they don't think twice. Why? Because they... they they don't think twice about it. They, 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 they know they should be there. They know that I'm going to answer their, their request. The point is my kids have no hesitation. They have a boldness because of our relationship. They have no question whether they should come in and put their face right by mine and say, Dad, I need water. Such boldness, <laughs> such undaunted confidence in their approach. I'll say your mother will help you. <laughs> because I'm an imperfect father, and he's so much better than me. And this is how God asks us to approach him boldly, 
like children asking for a glass of water because they have no question of whether they'll get it or not. Greer says, many of our failures in prayer are not because we are asking too much, but because we imagine the love of our Heavenly Father is too small. Don't you realize how wealthy and how generous your Heavenly Father is? And in John 15, Jesus says God's purpose in our prayers is to glorify Himself. So the more we ask, the more glory He receives. And there's a story about Alexander the Great who conquered for himself an empire, a um, massive empire. Towards the end of his, his life, one of his generals came to him and said, Alexander, I've served you faithfully for many years. I've never asked you for anything. I have one request. And the young empire, emperor says, what is it? And the general answered, I would like you to pay for my daughter's wedding. Well, you've served me faithfully in all these years, said Alexander. I will happily pay for this wedding. Go and speak to my treasurer about it. A few days later, the treasurer came to talk to Alexander and said, you need to punish that general. He's trying to take advantage of you. He's requesting the funds for the greatest wedding the empire has ever seen. He's invited everyone. He's taking advantage of your generosity. He must be punished. And the story goes that Alexander thought for a minute and then answered, no. I want to give him everything he's asking for. The treasurer, amazed, asked Alexander why. Because, replied Alexander, my general is paying me two compliments. First, he thinks that I am wealthy enough to afford this. Secondly, he thinks that I am, a, I am actually sufficiently generous that I will do it. He is acting as though I am wealthy and generous. So I will give him this request because in making the, this request, the general shows me tremendous honor. So this general's request was actually glorifying Alexander. It was showing him honor. And contrast Alexander with our God. Alexander may have, may have ruled a great empire for a few years on earth, but God created the earth and rules over it eternally. He is infinitely more generous. He is infinitely more, more wealthy. And he proves that by giving his only son so that his enemies could be restored to him and enjoy his fellowship forever. So ask yourself that question. What would your request to God be like if you re really believed that God is infinitely wealthy and infinitely generous? They'd be bold. And lastly, we're to pray persistently. And this is why Jesus tells the parable that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the reason the judge grants the request of this widow is because of her continual coming um, and you see this kind of prayer in the early church, right? In Acts chapter 11, when, when Peter was imprisoned, the church prayed all night for his release. They didn't pray once together. They didn't pray, call an hour's prayer meeting. They prayed all night. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed until he was released. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it seems Paul continued to pray for that thorn in the flesh that finally God sent an angel to say, God has a purpose in this, and you need to stop asking. So the point isn't that we, if we ask long enough, we can manipulate God into giving us exactly what we want. Because sometimes, like with Paul, he, is, he says, no, because I have a better plan. You can't believe that and know Jesus. Like Jesus is in the garden, and he says, if there's any other way, Father. And the answer is, I have something better. Trust me. 
When Lazarus was sick and Mary and Martha come to Jesus and ask him to intervene, and he doesn't. He allows Lazarus to die, for he had a greater plan. So the point is that great saints pray so persistently that they have to be told to stop, and that many of us miss out on God's answers because we stop far too soon. Um, It's another way of saying our prayers are to be like a child's attitude toward a parent, persistently asking. Um, My kids are in that stage where no is not really in an answer. It's just an invitation to extended negotiation. And for us, we're like, you're annoying and you're naughty. But Jesus is like, that's exactly how I want you to pray. Persistently, steadfastly, praying until I have to tell you to stop. Because God answers persistent prayers. And I know for some people, this is the, the trickier of the three to, to understand and to believe, right? Because you, you can think that that just seems unfair. Is that a bit cruel of God? If, if His will is to give us His blessings, why doesn't He just give it to us the first time we ask? I'll be honest, I don't completely know. Um, there's, there's an aspect of Isaiah 5, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Like, I just have to trust you and understand that you see a bigger picture. You know more than me. And that's probably the most straightforward answer. But there's a couple things that we can begin to understand from these stories. Firstly, that God is glorified through our persistence. That's true because in, in coming to him persistently in a request, we're showing again that God's the only place we have to go. It glorifies him in that way. So the widow had no other options. She, she didn't have another judge to approach. She didn't have anyone else to help. To help. She had one hope, one person who could help, and so she persisted. And when we pray persistently, we're showing that we have that same conviction about our relationship with God. We have no other one to turn to. He, he's our only hope. God, God, I know you're good. I, I believe that you love me. I believe that you can help me. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock because you're my only hope. Do you see how that's glorifying to him? And praying once or twice it doesn't demonstrate that. Praying persistently does. It glorifies God and that's why God is delighted to answer persistent prayer. Secondly though, persistent prayer, it's also the way he gives us faith. It's also the way he increases our faith. Like, think of every single time my kids came to me and asked for something, I gave it to them right away. What would they be like? My hunch is that our relationship would remain pretty surface level, right? They'd be spoiled. I'd be like a vending machine. Just put in the right thing, and you're going to get exactly what you want right when you ask for it. But what about when I hold things back? Because I know more than them. Hold things back because maybe I know this is bad for you or I have something better. Our relationship grows deeper because they have to trust me. They have to have greater faith in who I am. And so if I am an unperfect heavenly father, how much more will our perfect heavenly father, our justly heavenly father, know what he's doing? He wants us to trust him. He wants to increase our faith. He doesn't want you to lose heart He wants you to have faith in him. So sometimes he asks you to persist in your asking. Because there's something we learn in the struggle, isn't there? There's something that's strengthening our faith in the waiting. That's what Peter says, right? 
It says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that suffering does to us. So how does Jesus end his parable of the persistent widow? He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes again, that's what he's looking for, those who have faith. And so if you have been praying and praying and praying and you don't have an answer yet, keep praying. Keep praying. If you've been praying and praying and praying and you didn't get an answer and so you gave up, start praying again. Don't give up. Don't stop knocking. Um, G.K. Chesterton, he once wrote that the trouble with Christianity and society was not that it had been tried and found lacking, but that it had been found difficult and left untried. I wonder if it's the same for us in prayer. It's not that we have prayed desperately and boldly and persistently and found it lacking, but we've just lacked those things in our prayer and given up. And brother or sister, do you know of your desperate need for Jesus? Do you, do you believe him when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? So remain with me, seek me. Are you desperate in your prayers? And do you realize who he is? Do you realize how good and loving and wealthy and generous he is? And do you realize who you are, a beloved child, a dweller in his house? And therefore, do you realize how boldly you should be asking? How shamelessly you should come to him in your prayers? Are you praying big, bold prayers? And are you praying persistently? Are you coming to him constantly? Have you, have you learned to pray continually because there's nowhere else to go? There's no one else to help you. And I want to be a church that prays. And let that desperate, bold, persistent praying be one of our defining features. What would happen? <laughs> Colossians 4, 2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's this anticipation that comes with prayer, right? So let's pray desperate, bold, persistent prayers and watch and see what happens. You stand with me and we'll pray. And Father, uh, we we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that you um, are overall and you know all, that you are infinitely wealthy, infinitely generous. And we pray that ancient prayer, though, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Uh, would you increase our, our, our faith, Lord? And that's scary to pray, because sometimes it means walking through some valleys. 
Uh, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, um, that you lead us, that you're with us, that you follow us. Let's pray for our church, pray for the hearts here. Um, uh, Jesus, may we, may we believe you when you say, come to me when you're weary, when you're heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You can't find that anywhere else but with me. May we believe that. Uh, may we be a church that encourages each other in that, helps one another to, to, to pray and to seek you, to praise for one another. And just thank you for the, uh, the brothers and the sisters in the church that, that show us what that looks like. Um, those who have walked through those dark valleys, and we can look to you and say, that's what it looks like. Um, we have a young church, Lord, a lot of first experiences. Um, may we be a church that, that, that looks to others, um, the saints, Lord, that, that shows us what it means to persistently prayer and persistently pray, to continue to come to you, um, to be desperate for you, to pray boldly, expectantly, and con- continually. Uh, what, are you, what will you do, Lord? What could you do uh, with a church who is con- continuing to pray, continuing to knock on the door? Forgive us, Lord, that we, we often give up. But thank you, Jesus, that you're not, uh, you don't want us to go away feeling uh, beaten down because of that. Uh, you're not disappointed in us. You're not frustrated with us. You, you, you are wanting us to come to you for help, to help us. And I pray that's on everyone's heart this morning. Those who maybe feel a deep conviction, um, may they leave feeling loved, feeling known by you, feeling invited into your presence. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.